Silencer Central. Folks, if you want to learn something new right alongside me, check it out at SilencerCentral.com. I've never put a suppressor on any of my weapons, but I'm going to start now. And I'm using Silencer Central to help get me started because they walk you through the whole process. To include, you can ship the rifle to them, they'll thread it, they'll put it on, and they will ship it back. And you can make payments on the whole thing while you wait for all the licensing to get approved, which they take care of for you. It's a great process, and it's a great company, American manufacturer, right there in South Dakota, and we are really excited to be partnering with them. So check it out at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-781-8778 and let them know that you heard it on the Western Huntsman. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot i love the explorers in the eight inch and they've got the vibram sole totally waterproof no break-in period they just glue your feet to the mountain you can't ask for more out of a boot and you don't have to break the bank to get a pair so check it out at hoffmanboots.com again another american company uh, local north idaho friend of mine who runs this company decided to make some great hunting boots for all people that are serious about getting into the backcountry to chase elk and deer and bear and everything else out there so check it out at hoppinboots.com use promo code all caps lock huntsman 10 at checkout to save you 10 percent there exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away and we won't stand for it Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tan Studio in Clark Fork, Idaho. How you guys doing? Uh, new week, new guest. Uh, it's going to be a good show this week. I'm really excited about this one. I, I know I say that about every one of them, but uh, I am. I'm really excited about this one. My new friend, Mike Duplan. He is a writer. He's a, a retired firefighter. And uh, he is one of those prolific hunters that um, if you're not following on Instagram, you need to be uh, because he's just a great dude. He's, uh, I think we're going to learn a lot from him. Mike, I appreciate you joining me, man. Glad to be here. Um, so I, uh, hang on, I got to turn you up there. Say, say glad to be here one more time. Glad to be here. Hey, now we got it. See, I told, okay. I told you I was a, I was a half-ass amateur at this. As long as you hit record, that's all that matters. Yeah, man. It's recording. We're good. We're good. So uh no, I really appreciate you joining me. Um this is gonna be this is gonna be a good conversation. I think we got a lot to cover uh and a lot of good things to talk about. So kick us off, give us like a, a quick snapshot of who you are and your background and we'll go from there. God, where do I start? I got a long story. I was just uh, <laughs> born in Minnesota, parents divorced when I was a little kid, hauled to Arizona. Uh, lived there for a while, moved to Southern California um, in the L.A. area, 
and uh, moved up to a small town called Tatchby, California, and went to high school there. And and it seemed like forever as a young man living there, but it was just a few years out of my life. And then uh, I picked up in my 22nd year and moved to Colorado and uh, was working construction, going to school, night classes at the local community college and, and uh, went to work in a homeowner center and uh, met another off-duty firefighter working there. And uh, he convinced me I needed to take the test for the fire department. So I took uh, three tests, and on my third one, I got hired. What? And so that was uh, the start of uh, a very fortunate aspect of my life to have that happen. So, You know, I've never met a firefighter who wasn't, uh, you know, just had this deeper sense of duty and satisfaction out of the job. What? Yeah, it is a great life. I mean, I, it really was. There's obviously a lot of negative things that go along with uh, being a first responder. But, you know, mm. what it gave me was uh, an exceptional opportunity in life and time and and uh, just something you don't get in a nine to five. Yeah, for sure. I got a, I got a buddy. Well, I got a bunch of buddies that are firefighters, but one of them, uh, the, the way his schedule is, uh, he actually he works in North Idaho or I'm sorry, he lives in North Idaho but flies somewhere to California, I, I'm not sure where, so it's near L.A., and stays there for a week as a firefighter and then comes home and he has like two weeks off. And they pay yeah. him way better than if he just stayed local. So he's got all this time to hunt. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure he does uh, his own custom schedule, working trades and that kind of thing. So when he's down there on shift, he can you know work quite a few days and then comes back and he's got those trades lined up for that. and. And uh, I I don't know of any departments that have a week on, two weeks off. That that would be yeah uh, pretty strange. But uh, yeah. yeah, we had a, a forty eight ninety six schedule, two on, four off, and and so uh, it, there was times where it was difficult, just as far as uh, just getting hammered for calls and up at night, that kind of thing, training and everything. There's a lot lot going on, but uh, you had a whole four day to recuperate, and then you had a lot of time to do your own thing. So. You know, I had um, that. The, so I went to EMT school when I when I first got out of the service, and as part of the, to, in order to get the EMT certification uh, back then, I don't know if it's still like this, but you had to go tag along with the fire department for a day and do a ride sure, along. Yeah, yeah, and, clinical ride along. Yeah, and I was so excited about this, Mike. I was I was all I was all stoked to to go hang out with the firefighters, and and it was really cool. They had this big kitchen in the firehouse, and you know, living room area, and all this. I was all excited to go on a call. Uh, we get this call. We head out. Um, I'm, I'm riding in the fire truck and uh, feeling pretty cool. And we get there, and the call was some homeless dude that drank a bunch of Listerine to the point where he was so drunk he passed out on, on in some city park. And that's that's what the call was. What yeah? What kind of calls? What kind of like? Is there an average of like? You know, emergency. Um, what what would you call that? Not not a medical like a diabetes or heart attack kind of call, more like a you know car crash slash fire slash whatever. Um, I know you, there's a different term for them, but I don't know what it is. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, there, there's a lot of false alarms with uh, alarm systems. You know, businesses, uh, office buildings of people burning popcorn in the in the microwave, and oh yeah, and uh, just faulty systems and. And there's lift assist at nurse, nursing homes because, uh, for whatever reason, insurance companies don't allow their staff to pick people up off the floor anymore. They call 911, and the fire department has to go there and 
pick the person up off the floor. There's a lot of that. And, you know, primary, primarily it's those in medical calls. And then, you know, there's a few fires mixed in and, and uh, mm-hmm. all the random stuff that's, you know, everybody's worst day usually involves a firefighter. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what year was it that you took the test and, and got hired? I got hired in 92. I first started testing in 90, I, I believe. So it took, yeah, and, it's a process, uh, huh? Oh, yeah. What's what's interesting now is like our latest test was the least amount of uh, applicants that we've seen in years. And it's really, uh, there's fire departments that are having trouble hiring people now. And it's, oh, really? I think it's a reflection on uh, the new generation and the workforce and COVID and all those factors combining to make people think they just don't want to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could, I, I could see that. It's it, there. There is like this cultural thing where I think there is this lack of, you know, willingness to do something for the greater good outside of just thinking about what's great for you. You know what I mean? And we, and we yeah. get into all that, but but before we go down that road, I'm curious about your hunting background as well. Like, did you grow up hunting? What? Not at tell all. Us a little bit about no. that. My first hunting involved a BB gun and uh, a gray squirrel in the mountains above LA near Big Bear. And so that was my first experience. Oh yeah. Just trying to hit a squirrel up in a giant ponderosa pine with a BB gun. That was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And uh, I moved up to Tatchby and I was in the, you know, when we used to have school pictures, we're in the line for school pictures and standing next to this kid who ended up, he's my best friend still to this day, but, we became fast friends. He was the shortest kid in the uh, freshman class. I was the tallest kid in the freshman class. And, and uh, he came from a hunting background and, and that was September beginning of the school year. And, and we immediately hit it off and I started tagging along with him. And, and uh, by the next summer, I was earning money to cutting firewood to buy my guns. And, and it went from there. And I started off uh, shooting little California mule deer and, and just dreamed of hunting big bucks in Colorado. And that, that really was the, the preceding factor for me wanting to move out to Colorado. I wanted to come out and hunt big bucks in, in Colorado. And, and that's why I moved out there. So that's a, a short story. Yeah, the, pretty long. The, definitely the condensed version, I'm sure. But I, I was going to ask you that if if uh, going to Colorado hunting, if, if that was like a motivation or, or if that was just maybe availability in a fire department to get you a job kind of thing. But. Nope, that was the number one motivation. I had no plans other than moving out here and just starting from scratch. And, it, and it, you know, when you're 21 years old doing that kind of thing, not that's a, kind of unusual. Not many people actually pull up and move and. And that at that age, uh, going away from family and friends and everything, but that's what I wanted, and I was that driven for it at that age. So any, I knew any what regrets? I wanted. Any regrets with oh, that? No. Uh, maybe, maybe instead of Colorado, it might have been Alaska in retrospect. But yeah, um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I I love I love the uh, the draw and the uh, there is something about Alaska. I mean, it's it's a different place, right? But. Oh, for sure. I, I don't. I don't know if I could live there between uh, the just you know where I live now. The winters are plenty long, and and then Alaska's worse, and they don't have a, a hell of a lot of elk hunting. No, no, no mule deer. Yeah, no so, mule deer, but, no elk. You know, but I think one of the big, the most difficult thing about being in Alaska is unless you own your own airplane, 
you are logistically challenged and it's expensive. And so mm-hmm. while the hunt, the hunting is uh, readily available, it's getting there is another thing. So, yeah, I mean, you, you gotta be creative and all that, but, uh, Oh yeah. It, you know, it would make it challenging for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I just, uh, it, there's, I, I've always had a desire to, to like give Alaska a shot, but, uh, yeah. I think that's what kind of, kind of did away. <laughs> I don't know. I've gone through enough North Idaho winters and, and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm just, I'm over it. I'm, I'm ready to pick up and go down to like Arizona almost. <laughs> I've been to Alaska at least a dozen times. Have you? Yeah. Uh, hunting trips and vacation just, uh, my last uh, trip up there was a doll sheep hunt in 2020 and uh, took my family up there, my daughters and my wife, and we went salmon fishing and down out of Cordova um, for a week and then toured around a little bit up to Denali and and they flew home and I went on my hunt. So. Oh, that'd be a ball. My daughters, that, that's, I told them when they, you know, when they're done with high school and they're graduating uh, from which we homeschool, but um, still when they graduate from high school, they can pick a little vacation and they, they both picked Alaska and their motivation is they want to fly fish, hunt moose and go on one of those boat tours where you could see a beluga well. Uh, and I didn't even know what a beluga well was. I had to look it up. So (laughs) that's the plan, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So since then you've written for Eastman's hunting journals, which is, uh, you know, right up my, my alley. Uh, you've written uh-huh. for Western, uh, hunting mag. Um, what else have you written for? Cause I, well, I know there's a oh, lot, but, uh, mule deer foundation, uh, fair chase, Boone and Crockett. Um, not, not, not much more than that. I'd have, uh, there's probably another magazine or two, but I, I'd never did any of the big ones like, uh, outdoor life sports, a field or mm-hmm. field and stream. So, and, and you're um, still yeah, writing. yes, yes. In fact, it's, a uh, it's harder now because I feel like it's doing homework and, uh, I enjoy writing, but I also, uh, I like to do it on my own schedule and something that's just seems like it sneaks up on me, the, the print deadlines. And all of a sudden I'm just like, geez, I got, it's like just the feeling of having homework that's due tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So not a big fan of that, but. Yes, just goes, goes along with procrastination too. So, did that men- mentality kind of happen? Did that develop after you retired from the fire department, or ha- have you always kind of had that feeling? You know, that, that's hard to say. It's definitely different now that I've retired, and uh, you know, people, a lot of people ask me like, "What are you going to do when you retire?" I'm like, whatever the hell I want every day. You know, that yeah. within reason. But uh, you know, it's nice not not having. Uh, um, you know, to, to answer to people, you know, I, I obviously answer to my wife on, you know, we, we have a relationship and, you know, there's, there's that, but, uh, you know, she did, she's not giving me a list of things to do and, you know, telling me I need to do all this stuff all the time. I have enough sense of self-responsibility. I know what to get done. So. Sure. Sure. On your, on your Instagram, it says, if it was easy, everyone could do it. Yeah, I I really like that line, and uh, I I want to talk about that for a minute. Can you like expand on what you mean by that? Well, the, you look at what uh, you know. My my Instagram page isn't just uh, you know highlight reel of my life. It's it's what my life is all about, and uh, you know I, I feel like I have some exceptional photographs. I've taken exceptional animals, and I I feel like I'm a pretty decent writer. And, 
you know, none of that comes without effort. And if it was easy, everybody would do it, but uh, it's not. And so, you know, there's a, you know, this is part of the world we live in right now. It's like, uh, you know, it's just human nature. People are, are looking for an easier way to do things and, and get the accolades and, and the recognition without actually, um, you know, doing the sets and reps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there is all this stuff is a process. I mean, I, I didn't kill those, all those big bucks on accident. You know, there's a lot of effort and time went into all that stuff. And, you know, I, granted I was doing a lot of the hunting at a, a really prime time in Colorado when, uh, you know, we happened to get the season structure rearranged and, and limit tags. And, you know, we had abundance of big deer, but, you know, it's still, you know, I had this, the knowledge and the skill set at that point to be successful. And now it's, uh, it's gotten so bad where you know you could do all those things that i did back then but if you don't have just lucky breaks you know none of that matters so sure you know sure. you know i i think it, i guess uh the value of applying yourself and hard work and and learning it is uh what's really important i when i first uh i think the first published article i ever wrote was for mule deer foundation magazine and a guy by the name of scott stouter i submitted it to him and he actually called me up and gave me some good critical uh, feedback on constructive criticism on my writing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I've been an avid reader my whole life. And so I think when you read a lot, um, you kind of develop a subconscious ability to put those kind of thoughts in, together in sentences. So um, I've been, you know, I've been told I'm a good writer. I, I think it's all relative to who your audience is. Um, well, I mean, so, it, it goes without saying, Mike, the the amount of articles that you've written and and that have therefore been published speaks speaks for itself. I mean, we're in the thousands. You're you're like in the thousands of articles. Probably not that many. I you, you know a couple so? hundred. No, I don't think so. Man. But um, yeah, a few hundred okay. for sure. Okay. So, um, so. And what, you know, I, I think a, a a nice compliment I have. Uh, from my the owner of Western Hunter magazine and uh, Western Hunter TV show, Chris Denham, he basically gives me free reign to do whatever I want. He he puts no handcuffs on me at all, and uh, and he also they they hardly touch my stuff when it goes to editing, and uh, hmm. so you know having that kind of confidence in me is is I think a great compliment. Yeah, so I agree. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I also, I've kind of gotten over the writing how to stuff as I, I just don't really feel, uh, it doesn't do much for me anymore. I feel like I have to have some purpose when I'm going to spend the time and write something in my thoughts and everything. And so, um, that, that little bit of creativity, I think is, it allows me to be more inspired as a writer, as opposed to, you know, top 10 tactics for big bucks or, you know, some of that other horse shit that, you know, people want to, you know, say it is, it is what it is. You know, some people want to read that stuff and I I can't hardly stand it anymore. No, uh, I I can't either, man. I, I'll I'll be honest with you. I've never really cared for those kind of articles in, in the past only because I'd feel like I'd, I'd spend all this time reading those articles and there wasn't a lot of tangible information that came from it. It was like real obvious stuff. Like it was a lot of, a lot of, we're just trying to fill the pages. 
And that's yeah. not always well, the case. I, I don't mean yeah. to like offend anybody. It's not always the case. There were some really good and well-written articles and whatnot, but I don't know. I just, I, I like, I like the deeper articles. I like the, the stuff that is trying to solve a problem or yeah. something like that. What do you like to write about? Uh, you know, it's, it's all over the board. I, I mean, I really like to, uh, write with reflection and, um, I wrote an article a couple of years ago about uh, Joe Rogan and uh, for Western Hunter magazine. Oh, really? And it was uh, over 2,000 words. And uh, I, I basically said uh, fear, or the title was Fear Isn't a Factor. And uh, obviously, a kind of a spinoff of his starring on Fear Factor years ago. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe Joe is the biggest voice for hunting on the planet. And, and I think it's a, you know, you, you can say what you want about what he does, but it's far more positive than it is negative. He, he's showing people about, you know, the field to the table process and, and mm-hmm. how, and, and shining a great light on hunting. And, you know, when I hear a guy like Matt Rinella just trashing, it's just like, I think it's absolute horseshit. You know, it's like, yeah. this guy is the best voice for hunting on the planet. And I, I just don't understand, you know, I, I know where Matt's coming from, but, I don't agree with him at all on that. I think it's a it, it's a pretty selfish uh, mindset to have relative to the big picture of where we are at and the battles we fight on not only the national stage but the worldwide stage in, in regards to hunting. So to have a guy like Joe Rogan with I mean he's the biggest podcaster on the planet and to mm-hmm. espouse the virtues and you know how how important it is. It's like. Geez, what what more could you ask for, man? <laughs> I know, seriously. I I think about that. You, you know, the thing with like Matt Ranella, I I understand where he's coming from. I understand some of his frustrations, and there's a lot of things he sure. says that that I I tend to agree with. I just think that a lot of what like the platform he's pushing, it, it, there's just not a lot of realistic expectate or or goals. Um, there, nothing's going to come out of that. It's not realistic to think that we're not going to have hunting media and hunting shows and hunting uh, promotions and stuff like that. And to your point, what I really like about Joe Rogan is he's got this massive audience of, you know, everybody that listens to this show, for the most part, I get some anti-hunters that listen to just so they can, uh, you know, come at me and write bad reviews on my on my shit. But um, most of them are hunters. Joe Rogan's audience is is probably the lion's share of them are not hunters. But he has a way of humanizing hunting and normalizing it to people that might not otherwise understand it, and that is good for hunting. That's why that's why we have this you know this mass public um, belief and and uh, belief in the positive. Sorry, I've got this giant mosquito coming at me, dude, in the studio, and I'm trying to swat it away and talk at the same time. Okay, I got it. Uh, anyway, he he's he's normalized something that people that have never been exposed to hunting would maybe not ever understand and might have a negative connotation for because uh, they they just don't know it. You know, they think, oh man, some rednecks going out and and uh, you know shooting a a deer from from the window of his truck. And and Joe Rogan has been able to on a, on a very large scale get the message out to people that that's not what hunting is hunting is yeah. is human it's it's a it's a humanistic thing and i don't understand why when you have somebody like joe rogan or even cam haynes like cam haynes he takes a lot of flack from people and it's so unnecessary 
And I, I just don't understand why people attack those guys and 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 act like they, it's almost like this. There's this level of jealousy or something. Uh, yeah, and that, I don't think I don't think Matt comes from a place of jealousy. I think he comes from a place of uh, he's ideologically driven. Yeah, to want yeah. To, I, I wasn't to, I wasn't referring to Matt, but no, yeah, no, I, I, know, I know that. But but just in my mind, he's he's ideologically der- driven. But you know, hunting means so much to him. And he looks at what the threats are to hunting, and he perceives in his own mind that these are some of the biggest threats to him. But I, I have a different opinion on that. You know, everybody's got their own on that. But I, I just feel like uh, there's an aspect of of hunting and, you know, just social media and everything else that goes along with it. There, there's a – it's deeper than a lot of the superficial things that we think. Um, there is a part of hunting – that is ingrained in us, including the the desire for recognition for your success, and it, it's deep seated and it's tribal. And some people can say they can separate themselves from that primitive instinct uh, to be recognized by your peers and accepted by the tribe. And you know that's great if they're if they're at that point where they're so far advanced that they're they're able to distance them, themselves from those feelings. Yeah, that's great, but but that's actually part of the whole thing of why uh, there's a lot of negative connotations associated with all these things with social media, field photos, grip and grins, uh, you know, all the other stuff that goes along with it. Social media, um, you know, we we have a large tribe out there that's you know instead of the cave wall where we're drawing pictures, you know, we've got this invisible yes. digital world that we're accessed through, you know, a four inch by three inch phone in our pocket. It's funny so, you say that. Cause I'm, I'm actually, I was, I was scrolling through your Instagram and you've got the, uh, you were, it looks like Canyonlands national park with the, uh, you know, the, the scrolling on the wall and they're all uh-huh. hunting and you know, you yeah. look at that. I mean, how old is that? How old is that artwork? <laughs> Think about that. And, and you know, there's that meme. Have you seen the meme where, you know the the Native Americans they were not drawn pictures of salads on the wall, right? No, and, and so absolutely um, not. It's like that. So it's it's just funny, That's, right? Right when you said that, I found that picture. Uh, you know, and th- there's a I think there's a couple things there. It's one that what you're talking about, but there's also a great deal of reverence for that, and they're you know they're chronically chronicling experiences to share with others, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, the, there's so much of this that's uh, so deeply ingrained within us that, you know, it's so far into our subconscious, we don't even realize mm-hmm. um, wh- what it's all about. And, you know, I, I've learned a lot from, in my mind, from Jordan Peterson and his uh, oh, yeah. way to, you know, pull back the layers of the onion and expose all this stuff. I mean, his, his podcasts are absolutely fascinating. I, I feel like I've learned more from him than I, I learned in any college classes I've ever took. Oh, me too. Me too. You know what's, I don't know. I, I'm not super smart. So, so I'll listen to his podcast, you know, and I'll have to write certain words down. And at the end yep. of the podcast, I'll go in and I'll go back and look them up. Cause he'll say, yeah. he'll say some shit that I'm like, what? Uh, yeah. but it makes sense and it makes sense. And he's just got a way to put, put things into perspective. But I wanted to ask you about, 
you know, along these lines, we, we started getting into social media. We, we talked about, you know, some of the, some of the threats to the future of hunting. And, and then we, you know, you revert that back to, we were talking about people looking for an easy button or, or a, a cheat code to be a successful hunter. Do you think social media ties into why there's a lot of folks out there that tend to want to find that easy button uh, versus the good old fashioned, you know, uh, put your boots on and go out there and, and get it, get it done yourself, put in the work. I mean, you you have a direct view into people's lives and, and very successful hunters, and these guys have have painted an aspirational lifestyle for people, mm-hmm. and it's like I, I've done the same thing. I'm I'm not immune to it. I, you know, it's like uh, if I could turn back the clock and not do any of this stuff, would I? I don't know, um, because you know I don't care who you are everybody enjoys being appreciated by their peers and by others it's it's an it's a absolute important part of human nature and it, and it also provides a an aspect of uh you know there's a subconscious pressure to do better too because of that so yeah. i mean when you talk about all this stuff and and why it's wrong or when i when i say you when i say people talk about all this stuff and, and the negative aspects of all of it you know you it's you, to boil it all down and filter it, it's like there's some stuff that's going on that's uh, probably beyond the comprehension of all of us because it, it is so – there's so much of what is involved in human nature and tribalism and and all this stuff that motivates us to do a lot of this stuff. The problem is we have this incredibly powerful little device in our hands that really gives us access to things that we've never had on any level, not even close. I mean, it's just, you know, we have something in our hands, in our pocket that is more powerful than the most powerful computer on earth, you know, 30 or 35 years ago. And that's just insane. A 15 year old kid today with a smartphone has access to more information than president Ronald Reagan did while sitting in the white house. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, I know that's true. Cause you told me you read it on the internet. Right? I, I read it somewhere. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's an Abraham Lincoln quote. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm always, I'm always, you know, I, I don't know because I enjoy social media, but I also feel like it does some damage and, and I, I, I feel like it's gotten out of control and out of hand from a sense of, you know, we can, we can post, we could post, I've posted some nice animals over the, over the years and I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm going to do it again. If I, yeah. you know, if I'm fortunate enough to, to get a nice animal down, I'm, I'm going to post it. Hell, hell I'll, sure. I'll post a little animal. I, I don't really have any shame, but you know what, what doesn't get posted when we're talking from a sense of hard work and what it takes to, I'm looking at one of your mule deer. He's just a monster freaking mule deer. We don't get deer like that up here. I'm just going to like have to come see you or something. Um, yeah, you used to. But. Yeah, yeah, we used to. Uh, a little thing called wolves. Um, but yeah. anyways, the I, I look at pictures like that. And for me, like you, I was a hunter prior to social media. I, I, I'm, I'm that long enough in the tooth that, that I was around and hunting before social media existed. Uh, yeah, I'm older than you. Yeah. And so, well, same, I wasn't, wasn't going to say that, Mike. I, I was just going to keep that to well, myself. But. Well, <laughs> I mean, any, if you if you can do the math, I I did 30 years on the fire department. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you start breaking it down that way. So, 
Very true. And so, but I, I guess the point I'm getting to is when I see that big buck you've got posted here, um, I, I can just, I could feel the pain in, in your feet, in your legs, in your back and, and the work and the sweat and the blood and everything and, and the emotional output that goes into getting a buck like that, you know, and, and I, I think that there's a lot of people that have, maybe they're just getting into hunting. They maybe don't understand the, the time and the effort and, and the, uh, education you put yourself through to get to a point, to get an animal like that consistently. We're not talking about, you know, the, the the dude that gets real lucky getting out of his truck and there's a, you know, 200 class mule deer standing there off off the 50 yards off the road. Cause that does happen every once in a while. Um, very rarely, very rarely, but it does. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there, man. What was I getting to? Well, uh, I think you were get, what you're getting at is what what the picture represents more than just a grip and grin. Yes, yes, the it's, representation, uh, the, the the amount of effort that went into all that. And so, I'm not sure which buck you're talking about. I don't know if it's my my biggest deer. It's a big, wide one, and and uh, I'm oh, grabbing. Man. So. It looks like it looks like the when you first walked up to him because you're not grabbing him. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's right next to a bunch of bighorn sheep. Yeah, you got a bunch of okay. good pictures, man. I can just we can make a whole episode about the pictures you post. Yeah. Uh, um, no. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you know my biggest deer. Um, I was actually sick with the flu. I, I, when I was doing a lot of hunting back then, um, my kids were in grade school, and you know. How school works is, you know, they they start school and then about October the freaking flu bug starts jumping around mm-hmm. elementary schools and come hunting season it's like every dad around's got the bug and so I actually had the flu in October of the year I got my biggest buck and I spotted him from the road way up on this mountain. Um, it was probably a couple miles away. It was there was snow up high. It was raining down low. And I was looking at these. Uh, bull elk they were up in this little snowy uh i was just kind of like a little bowl with a patch of quakies on one side and then a big brushy pinion juniper mountain below them and right on the edge of the snow as i'm looking through my spotting scope at these bulls i see this buck walk across my field of view in the scope right below these bulls and he didn't turn sideways but i could see even from that distance huge black forks against the white snow oh, and that's what man. it looked like for me and so i just about shit my pants at that point and the reason why i was in my truck at that point was because i was feeling like shit because i was sick but yeah. at, you know, at that point i got the adrenaline bump and hauled ass down the road parked and started humping up this mountain and it, it was probably it wasn't two thousand feet of vertical but it was quite a bit and i got literally only 10 minutes from the vehicle and i just sat down my head spinning and i'm like holy shit i need to go home right now and i, <laughs> I did I, I spent the next two days in bed i was that sick with the flu wow and, uh, i went back there and went up there and it was my third trip after i felt better up that mountain looking for him but i finally found him and uh you know it was late in the day and, and i you know made a great shot at when he uh, got up out of his bed and Shot him in the back of the neck in the brush at less than a hundred yards and dumped him right there. And I, I knew he was wide when I walked up on him and he's thirty-eight and a half inches wide. And 
up until last year, he was the largest net scoring typical out of Colorado since 1974. No kidding. So he, yeah, he was. So there's a guy in Grand Junction killed one that's a little bit bigger last year. But uh, is that is this is that the one the uh, Wide Wednesday and since it took over 15 years? You're wearing like an orange hat. I probably wearing an orange hat in most of those. Oh, I guess you are. Yeah, yeah. Call, call, you guys have to down in Colorado, don't you? Yeah. Uh, two, yeah, I don't know. My big. Yeah, that's what he is. He's a little over two twenty. Okay, yeah, he he's a smoking yeah. buck. Just yeah, a smoker. I mean, a true giant. Yeah, that's he's a two oh eight and five eighths net typical, and and uh, has a gross typical frame of two sixteen. And then uh, a net typical frame of like two twelve, and then his net typical score is two oh eight. So oh, cool. yeah, it's right there in the button. Change cheaters and deducted lots of God. Yeah. That thing is just a masher. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah I've I, you know I, I I used to see bucks like that when I was young. I haven't seen bucks like that ever for years. Uh, on the whole, everybody you know. says that, Jim. I don't know. I, it's just I I don't know if that's the uh, uh, there is. Uh, all the old timers up here, they they've got bucks yeah. like that on the wall up in North Idaho, even yeah. in, in, in in Western Montana, and um, sure. but and they say the same thing, you know, they, they, we we'd go into these same areas and and they're just not there anymore. And so, no. anyway, no, they're just uh, they're killed when they're two and three year olds. So yeah, 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 yeah. What do you yeah. think? What do you think has changed the most? You, you started hunting. Uh, what was that like? The eighties. Late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Uh, what do you I think started, has changed uh, the most? Yeah, my first deer hunt I think was eighty two, and I moved out to Colorado in eighty eight. Um, I would say the biggest change I've seen, and you know, ob- the technology is obvious, and that just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest change is the type of hunter that's out there now. That the younger hunters that are coming into the game are willing to put in the effort and they're more driven they don't have the skill set or the knowledge but they get by with just putting the boots to it and you know hunting together and and groups of you know you know there there, a lot of guys are you know there's two three four guys hunting together and so that is a super efficient way of going about it even you know some of these guys don't even have tags they just go along with their buddies and that's something that you know when i was first hunting is you know we we all had tags and we all went out on our own and you know got back to get you know occasionally you'd be paired up with somebody during the day but quite often you're by yourself all day yeah and so there, there's a different uh way about it and you know like uh people are not afraid you know the, and part of it is just uh there's an element to a lot of these guys that they're really content with the process they enjoy the backpacking, the equipment, the you know, archery's for uh for uh wow, oh what's the word I'm looking for? Um gearheads. Oh, archery is just an absolute drug for people because there's oh, yeah. so much so much you can get with that. And also, you know, the backpacking thing goes right along with that. So you combine like a, a backpacking archery hunter and there's guys that are just really happy with going through the motions and and being out there with a the tag in their pocket and, and enjoying the outdoors. And, and, uh, I, I see a lot of it and, you know, good for them, man. It's just, yeah, you know, no, seriously, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, no, I, I totally agree I'd with be, that. There, there are I'd guys, nobody. 
They are they are just happy as a as a pig in shit getting out there like literally two thousand dollars worth of gear on their back, um and, and you know just just getting out there and camping and enjoying you know being connected with with something wild you know whether they notch a tag yeah. or not it's 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 you know it's an interesting take it's an interesting way to go yeah and, and you know I think we're you know the the whole idea of uh, this premise that was put forth about hunter numbers dropping and everything well I think. Everybody in the West would collectively agree at this point. It's like, yeah, that's not our problem here anymore. Yeah. And maybe it is maybe it is in the voting booth, but certainly not on the mountain. And so well, what we have is we've got overhunted herds in every freaking state, other than when it's such a uh, limited coveted draw unit that that's the only way the pressure is limited from mm-hmm. from that perspective. So with that kind of pressure, you have uh, less older age class animals, you have more people out on the mountain, and you have less success by more people. So, you know, uh, in order to, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of brainstorming this with, with my premise about all these young hard chargers out there, um, with less success and and the desire to do it, there's also a desire to learn more and look for ways to to get uh, the knowledge without, you know, having the ability to, you know, uh, close the circle, so to speak, you know, yeah, like yeah. actually make skills. So, so there's a lot going on right now with, uh, and you know, there's people that are picking up on that. Like, you know, I, I know Randy Duberg and, and I saw Remy Warren's was attached to something, but you know, they're, they're putting on these things they call master class. I think your buddy Dirk was doing some of that stuff with, elk hunting and, and these basically classes for people to go learn how to hunt and yeah there a lot of them are online courses like that you're talking to dirk yeah. was doing the elk collective yep. um you know and that's with john gabriel and dan staten and yeah there's yeah. a lot of that yeah and then you know colorado parks and wildlife on their website has the elk hunting university or something along those lines oh really and so there's yeah and that's that's actually was that preceded all these other guys. Oh yeah, that's so, the Corey Jacobson one. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so you know, it's interesting to me, and you know, I I'm a little turned off by, by it, but you know, it's like I can't I, I can't get emotionally invested in being upset about it. it you know, it's but I also understand that there's what, people what, out there that are hungry for information. What turns and they you can't off about it, Mike? Sorry, I hey, you know I do. No, 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 that's fine. You, you know, you're asking for my opinion here. So I guess uh, what I see is, I guess, the unwillingness for people to just put in the time, effort, gain the experience on their own and learn. And and there's so much value to that, And which is kind of crazy because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of parroting what my next article is for Western Hunter. And, and Chris just gave me the word value. That's a, that's a theme in the next issue so i'm gonna write on that but i'm you know the value of learning on your own and and getting those hard lessons you cannot do anything online in a class in a lecture i mean that nothing comes close than failing yourself in the moment in the woods on the mountain all that and and so the lessons to be learned out there uh, you you just get so much more from that than you do from all the other stuff. But you know, there's I, a there's a place for the other stuff. So. There is, and I I wouldn't disagree with that. The lessons I learned by screwing up, which you know, you know, I screw up way more than I don't screw up. You, you know, I've yeah. I've messed up more hunts than uh, any. 
tags I've notched. Definitely, there's a lot more value in it. I think where the value on like those uh, online courses come in is when there you have a lot of. I'll give you one example of myself. The way I was raised and taught to hunt elk was way wrong. The 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 person that I looked to to teach me how to hunt elk, uh, my my mentor, and this isn't my 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 dad. He didn't really hunt elk. Um, he hunted elk like you hunt mule deer, and and I was uh-huh. led so astray. And you, when you're raised in that, and you go out and you do it that way year after year after year, and you have all these uh, unnotched tags, you know, kind of in in the back of your head. Uh, for me, it, it took it took a long time for me to realize, you know something's wrong. I'm doing it wrong. I was, you know, like 20 by the time I realized I'm doing this completely wrong. And it took a long time because this is even when I was 20, this, there was no online courses. There were no podcasts. There was no, you know, there was magazines and maybe a couple of websites. And yeah. so I had to retrain myself. But back, back then when I, when I had the epiphany that everything I was taught about elk hunting was off base and, and there was a, there was a course like, um, you know, like the L Collective available, I would have jumped all over that because I had a lot of catching up to do because I was taught so wrong that I wasn't even learning the right mistakes or learning the right way from the mistakes I was making, if that makes sense. They weren't teaching me the right things. And so, sure. um, and, and you know, then you look at, there's a lot of people that don't have hunting mentors that want to get into hunting. But, uh-huh. but when it comes down to it, there is no truer lesson than when you're on the mountain and you blow a call in on a, on a bull elk or you, you, you know, you just, whatever, whatever happens to make, make that dream run off right in front of your eyes. You oh know, God. Uh, you know <laughs> yeah. that, that is a hard, my, my daughter just learned a lesson, you know, with, with spring bear, she learned a lesson about, um, you know, checking, checking that rifle, making sure it's, it's tuned up and, and that scope styled in. Right. And, and so it's just, um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a big topic. I guess we could do like a whole podcast just on that. But well, well you know, when you say you uh, weren't hunting elk properly and you were hunting them like mule deer, well, that just tells me you're thinking about hunting bow hunting elk in the rut versus hunting late season bulls, which you basically mm-hmm. hunt like you're hunting mule deer. So, I, without you even saying that, I knew what you were getting at. Yeah, and and so I would say that I enjoy hunting late season bulls because I can hunt them like I hunt mule deer and the mule deer hunting in Colorado is shit now. So I kind of scratched that itch that way. So is it, is it getting bad there? I, Cause obviously oh God, I yes. So my, my yes. You, 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 you are living in a shack in Northern Idaho and with like almost like a cave, aren't you? You're not paying any attention <laughs> to what's going on in the world. I don't get out. No, <laughs> Colorado has been suffering for quite a few years. We've got chronic wasting disease, uh, We've got excessive tag allotments, uh, and just we've hunted our mule deer to death. And I've 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 written articles about it ad nauseum for Western Hunter. And uh, there's a, it's just a problem. We we're just too good at killing mule deer now, and well, uh, we're lacking older age class bucks all across the state. And uh, now we got the winter kill in the Northwest and and tag reduction, and then a, a chronic wasting disease management philosophy that involves uh, a lot of tag allotments for trying to reduce mature buck numbers because they're convinced uh, CWD is spread by uh, bucks traveling from doe group to doe group. And and so 
all this uh and you know there's a, a huge focus by people coming to colorado specifically wanting to kill a big buck so there's a lot of pressure and when you have that mentality and you know i can't blame people for what they're doing they're coming here hopes of killing a big buck and then settling for little ones at the end of the season because they don't want to go home empty-handed. There could not be a worst-case scenario for mule deer buck management than that. And yeah. so we've got we've got big problems here. And so, you know, I South Idaho is the same way. You know, I've talked to Steve Alderman about this, and, and it's, it's kind of the same way there, but uh, yeah. on a much larger scale in the state. So, Yeah, I think I think that, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong because uh, it's a lot of over-the-counter stuff here too, but... Uh, it does seem like there is a they're they're a little liberal with giving out tags in Colorado. What what's the state agency doing about it? Do you, anything good coming from that end? On the on the state level, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of great trail cameras out there. I've run the Tacticams, and that's a great system, especially their cell cameras. I've run a lot of different brands that I've I've recommended to you guys in the past, but the right fit at the right time is the SpyPoint trail cameras. I have uh, a couple of the Flex G36s that are cell cams. They do a really good job for keeping track of everything that's going on on my property. And I also have for, you know, kind of out in the back country, I've got these Force Pros. Man, the picture quality on those Force Pros is, is just amazing. If you guys saw some of the bear pictures I was showing you during Spring Bear, that was a Force Pro. Really great cameras. I, I'm really excited that they are, uh, they chose to sponsor the show because I've been, I've I've been using SpyPoint for a long time, and, and I think you guys are going to be just as happy as I am with them. And check them out at SpyPoint.com and let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Some of you might be old enough to remember back in the day when you can go to Walmart and get you a Savage Rifle for very cheap. And they did a good job, but they weren't, like, equipped for some of the hardcore hunting out there that we do today. If that's a memory that you have with Savage, like I do... I'm telling you, it's not like that anymore. Savage Arms is one of the premier firearms manufacturers dedicated to us hunters. I have this freaking uh, Savage 110. It's the Apex Hunter. And this thing is amazing. I love the AccuTrigger. You can also get them with the AccuFit, which allows you to adjust the stock. So if you're buying them for youth hunters or whatever, or just, you know, rifles fit you different. It's so flexible. It's so perfect for every hunter. It's just not the same Savage that it was 30, 40 years ago. It's a great firearm for everyday use while hunting, and they support hunters, and they support this show, and I really appreciate Savage Arms. Check them out anywhere firearms are sold or go to savagearms.com to find out more. What, no, what is it, because Colorado Parks and Wildlife? Is that what it is? Carlo yeah, yeah, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. The Colorado Division of Wildlife and the Parks Department were merged together, and so that's why it's referred to that way a few years back. And um, so Colorado's big focus within the state agency is wolves right now. Our governor has just a chokehold on the on the whole agency regarding this he's rebuilt the wildlife commission with uh land use and wildlife activists mm -hmm. which aren't hunting which are not hunting yet pro hunting activists these are people that you know i i just somebody told me this and i can't confirm it but they said there's no nobody on the wildlife commission that has held a big game license 
uh, currently. So that'd be uh, something to check into for sure. That I, because yeah. I, I think I heard that too, Mike. And like, uh, we've done a few episodes. I've done a couple episodes with Chris Rowe and Guy Duplanche yeah. about about that regarding wolves. Sure, yeah. it's been a big topic this last winter. You know. Yeah, I've listened to all of Chris's stuff with uh, Aaron Snyder and yeah. his own stuff, and then you know I did listen to the one. And uh, yeah, Chris is Chris and I are buddies. He is an amazing talker. Yes, he is. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> that I, dude that, could rattle off some shit like nobody else. You know what? So. He didn't answer. I I texted him the other day, and and he hasn't responded to me. I should I should give really? him a hard time. Yeah. See, huh. he, he's out there praying for rain still or something. I hope not, because they've been getting a shitload of rain. Have they been getting pound- oh, They needed it. They needed it bad. Yeah. What What do you think? What's your What's your reaction to the wolves coming to Colorado? Well, it, it was. Uh, I'm not happy about it. You know, for years the Division of Wildlife was against it because they just felt that there wasn't enough room in, for wolves in the state. You know, for because it's not it's not just what you turn loose; it's what's going to end up being here, mm-hmm. and so. You know, it also makes work for them. So they're they're against it as they've been against uh, grizzly. There's people that are, you know, don't think that they don't want to turn grizzlies loose in Colorado again. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. So that, that's there's that also. But, uh, you know, the, the problem with it is you're sentencing some of these animals to death. Although the anti-hunters did a great job setting up the whole uh, proposition, the ballot initiative, uh, to sneak out the lethal management right from underneath everybody's noses just the way it was worded as you know designating them a non-game animal and no no lethal control but you know for all intents and purposes by doing what you're doing you're sentencing some of these animals to death and uh i and that's you know don't think that i'm just against it because i'm worried about wolves getting killed that's not why i just feel like uh you know the wolf it doesn't have a place in Colorado anymore. It'd be neat if there was just a few of them around and, you know, occasionally you could hear one while you're out, but there, there's no stasis or balance in nature. You know, people think that that's part of the big selling point of the the wolf lovers was they want to create balance. They keep using that term balance, Mm -hmm. but there is no balance in nature. There's an ebb and flow and there's a, a rise and fall of population. So what I do know is by having wolves on the landscape, um, it will seriously impact our hunting and people's uh, ability to to enjoy it. So, you know, it, it will, in the future, curtail a lot of uh, the available hunting opportunities all across the state. And, you know, there's you're talking about animals that have never seen a wolf and they have no idea what they're going to get into. And it's going to be a literal slaughter. Oh, in places. Yeah. I, I can attest yeah. to that. That's exactly what happened in Idaho with our elk. We had yeah. one of our units, the, um, uh, gosh, unit 10, I think, um, the Lolo zone. Anyway, 90% reduction in elk numbers in, in a once great elk unit, uh, just due yeah. to wolves. And so I, I think, I think that, you know, for for me, where I see catastrophe is not the fact that we've got these pro wolf activists out there that want to release a few wolves into Colorado. That that's that's not the issue. The issue is is they've got this overbearing wolf management plan that, like what you were saying, takes all lethal means to control and manage the wolves in the state of Colorado out of the the hands of 
the the people that need to be out there managing and and the only way the only real way to to effectively manage wolves is through trapping Hunt, yeah. you know people can sit and talk about how they're going to go hunting wolves and and there's a couple of guys that are really good at it uh, i've had i've had both of them on the show <laughs> and they're really good wolf hunters but for the most of us you know people in colorado they've never hunted wolves we we never hunted wolves here in idaho we had to bring trappers down from alaska to show us how to trap wolves you, yeah. you know and and that's the problem is when when you've already you were you were you know alluding to the struggling mule deer populations uh, already in the state of Colorado and the over overabundance of tags issued for elk and deer and and uh, these ungulate species uh, the moose are the first to go by the way um, to release wolves into Colorado without some sort of management plan knowing what the state of Idaho and Montana have gone through with our wolf issues and and I'm not even talking about the the cattle ranches. I'm talking just the ungulate species and the and the population and this fantasy of letting nature balance itself that doesn't exist. So to have all that data and to still come into uh, Colorado and say let's just release wolves without any kind of management plan is well, is fucking ludicrous. Well, it is ludicrous, but you got to look at what what is their intent. I mean, all these people are not. Uh, it's not simply about putting wolves out there so you can hear a wolf howl on your camping trip. Um, there is, you know, this sounds convoluted and conspiratorial, and and I, I used to be a little embarrassed just to say it at first, but I'm I'm completely one hundred percent convinced of it at this point. They want to eliminate hunting, and what a, what better way to do it? than to put wolves out there and the wolves can control the big game populations and that would alleviate the need for hunters to be even out there. And, and I think that is what it's a, it's, it's not a pie in the sky that, I mean, that's a realistic idea. And there's a reason why Colorado's ground zero, you know, Colorado touches what, uh, uh, six or seven States surrounding Nebraska. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and Wyoming. Yep, and they're, those all share a border with Colorado, and, and they're they're all going to suffer the same consequence. Where you know these these wolves are obviously wolves don't stop at the state line, and yeah. and Colorado already knows that. You guys already have a pack of wolves that have wandered down from Wyoming, and so it's just it's such a I, I it's funny because like ten years ago. I would have I would have heard you say that, and I'd have been like, kind of what your reaction was. Oh, that's a you know conspiracy theory, uh, man. I I don't think it's a conspiracy theory anymore. I I really no. do think that there is that level of intent to reduce you know so that there's no more necessity to issue hunting tags, and what an easy way to justify you know ending this this american and human tradition of hunting and and it's yeah. it's just part of it just a real quick uh for fact checkers i know colorado doesn't actually share a border with texas but it's just uh across the panhandle a few miles so yeah it wouldn't um, take much just, but uh back to the wolves that you know there's a basically our governor i don't know if you're familiar with the with the politics and what's going on here i know he's His a big husband, time liberal well, he is a big-time liberal, but his husband is a nationally recognized animal rights activist. Oh, yeah, that's so right. I did know that. He, I did know that. He, and so they basically took the Wildlife Commission, which is all those are governor-appointed positions, and he basically got rid of 
some and got and put and created an echo chamber of like-minded individuals, land use activists and anti-hunters. And they're the ones that are crafting policy for the state right now. Um, there is a, I mean, we've literally gotten our ass kicked here in Colorado big time with this. Mm-hmm. And, and it had nothing to do with anything other than we're blindsided by something that nobody ever saw coming was, was the idea of that this governor's husband was going to, create a situation where they basically reshape the entire uh, Carlero Pikes Parks and Wildlife Commission and are, and are reshaping policy for the future of Colorado's wildlife and hunting. And uh, the only thing that's going to stop them is a judge or, you know, an election where they appoint a, another governor that or elect another governor that's going to uh, uh, take some of these policies back and, you know, maybe possibly another ballot initiative but this this wolf thing is they can stall it, but it's you know it's coming. It's coming. And, yep. uh, and what are you uh, super concerning? How how realistic is it? Um, given again, I don't I don't live in Colorado. I don't really know, uh, you, you know the the cultural side of it from you know the political standpoint. But how realistic is it for maybe a a, a governor? that is a little bit more pro hunting to be elected in the state of Colorado these days. Unlikely because one of the problems is that the Republican party keeps picking candidates that are moderate. They're, they're very, very conservative. And you know, that's, I guess it is what it is, but you're not going to get a, a hardline right wing conservative elected in Colorado. You're going to need a moderate that is, you know, that the people are going to have to concede some of their, ideology to in order to vote for him. Um, that and that that is something you know there's a lot of heroes in the graveyard as we both know and if that's what if it's if it's so important to you to have this hardline right wing guy or or woman in charge of the state you're not going to you're not going to have it happen because there's just enough of a democratic voting population on the in the big cities on the front range of Colorado that it's simply impossible. The numbers just aren't there anymore. So you know, we, we went just, from, since I've been here in Colorado, uh, I moved here in 88. We went from a red state to a purple to a solid blue. Yeah. So I, yeah. that's where we're at. I've noticed that. And, and you know, that's, that's the trouble with just politics in general anymore is everything has gotten so extreme. Like yeah. the, the the differences between Republican and Democrats, you know, back in the in the 60s through the 80s or whatever, they were obvious differences, but it's not like they were. I, well, I'll put it to you this way. I feel like one of the parties flat out wants to destroy the, the foundation of what America is. And the other party feels like the way they need to react to it is by becoming more extreme than what they yeah. were. I, I don't know. They're how, the wagons, yeah. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and so it's like, it's creating this greater disparity between just your average Americans that, you know, people, because of social media and the way the, that the media is in general, people that don't really, are not really folks that want to keep up on, on political issues and, and follow that kind of stuff, they hear or see one headline and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're, they're like a left-wing extremist or something. You know, it's, it's like small things change people's minds and they attach themselves to these causes that they don't really know anything about. And I think that that's what, like, the majority of the 
anti-hunting population is made up of are these people that don't actually know shit about wildlife management. They don't know anything about hunting. They don't understand the the human connection to hunting and the history of hunting and, and how it ties into who we are today. They just no, need it, to attach themselves to a cause to feel important. And sure, yeah, I want to protect a, a, a white-tailed deer because I, I think they have cute tails when they run off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so much of a... So much of this is based on uh, people's ignorant sentiments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have people in, in the city that just, like, hey, man, it sounds pretty cool. We should have some wolves out there. That's a great idea. Well, I, I can't say that I blame them because they're ignorant to the idea of what, what is the truth behind it. You know, all they ever see is these, you know, bitching TV shows on with wolves, you know, romantically going around taking care of their pups and mm-hmm. puking up dead deer that they probably scavenged they didn't kill right you know and yeah. everything that goes along with that and you know you, you don't ever see the videos of a wolf tearing apart uh you know a calf moose eating it alive you know you, why don't we ever see the videos of dogs that are getting killed by wolves other than uh you know some instagram sites that have those kind of videos can you imagine like you know these these dogs that were killed up in north park in uh the northern part of the state by wolves this past winter. You know, I'm sure there was pictures taken of them, but yeah. you know, these pictures were never shown to the public. But these people's pets were literally pulled apart and eaten by wolves. And, and it, that that would make people think twice about like there is more to this than just uh, romantic wolves running around the, the woods howling. And totally. so th- there's this, and and you know, there's the censorship involved in the whole process is. You know, it goes across the board with the whole culture war our country's experiencing right now. So, well, and interestingly, the the people that refuse to share the pictures of those dogs that you were talking about, they're the same people yeah. that will jump on Instagram and come to pages like some of my friends who are prolific wolf trappers and and wolf hunters, and they'll post those pictures all day long to to fire up their own base and and try to fundraise. Look at this wolf killer right here, you know, and they 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 get the the. The worst pictures, this is why I always caution hunters, you know, and trappers as to what they're posting, because this is what happens. Like there's this, there's this group (laughs) and I follow them, uh, just so I can kind of keep an eye on what they're doing, but they'll, they'll take, they'll take pictures from, uh, especially like Western Montana and Northern Idaho. I I know all the, all the hunters and trappers out here that, that actually get wolves and, Uh and I'll see, you know, they'll fuzz out their face. But they'll they'll get this bloody picture of this wolf, and they'll put it all over their Instagram. They have thousands yeah. of followers, and and the underlying message is, is wolves are in danger right now. We have to save them. Look at what's going on. Send us money, you know. And that feeds into their machine because that's that's all it is is a machine. It's a cottage industry. It's a great way to generate revenue, and 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 people fall for it. And and then they're all of a sudden we've got all these anti hunters that don't even know why they're anti hunters other than they saw a picture on Instagram. You know, it's it's really yeah. frustrating. No, you know, some people are just uh, pretty short sighted, and you know, when I say some people, like people in the hunting world, it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to put everything out there on social media. And I appreciate the, I appreciate the attitude that, there, you know, there is an attitude like, fuck you. I have the right to do this. I, this is my freedom, my freedom of speech, and I'm not doing anything wrong. It's like, well, yeah, that's all true. Yes. Yeah. I respect Agree with that you. to an yeah. extent. However, is it helping us? Is it helping to ensure that your grandchildren will be able to hunt someday? 
Yeah. Not a freaking chance, buddy. And, and, Not and a ask yourself chance. in two ways. Is it like when you do that, I don't ever, I will never be the kind of guy I, you know, we were talking politics. I'm, I'm very conservative. I'm, I'm very conservative. I, I like the government as small as it could possibly be. Right. Sure. But so I, I don't want to ever tell anybody what individual can, responsibility, individual re- responsibility, self-reliance, uh, yep. you, you know, a commitment to the greater good. Um, I'm you, with you. you know, a moral. What's compass. funny is most people would agree with that. You I, know, I, right. They, they would. Yeah. And so I don't want yeah. to tell somebody what they can and can't post. And I, I do respect sure. the individual that says, you know what? Fuck you. I'm, I, I, I can do what I want. And this is who I am. And I'm not going to hide who I am. I get that. But you got to ask yourself, like, like what Mike was just saying. Is what you're putting on social media hurting or helping the future of hunting? Because that's really what's on the line. So where I will never try to take another person's rights away, when you're trying to do something that is not harming the greater good, but when you are harming the greater good, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to say something. So. You know, we've all, we've, we've all got our own little circles and echo chambers and, you know, to, to give a visualization, if you took like the Olympic uh, logo with the interconnecting circles, that's, that's what our hunting world is. It's all these, these circles of, of interconnection where, you know, you might have the bow hunting circle and the rifle hunting circle and the bird hunting circle, but they're all interconnected on some level. Yeah. And so we, we and we're in it. And if you look at it from afar, it's one big you know, one big uh, uh, image of these interconnected circles. Even if you think you're just in the uh, BHA circle or the bow hunter circle or the the rifle hunter circle, the elk hunter circle, all this, we are all connected on some level here. And so, you know, there, there is a war taking place against what we hold dearly. And that is our, our, our desire and, and, and ability to go out on the landscape and procure meat and, and experience the hunt, bring home a set of antlers or horns, all of this. It, there, there is a large contingent of people that outnumber us greatly that want to take that, that away from us. Mm-hmm. And so those people, we aren't going to change their minds. The ones in the middle that have some level of tolerance and common sense, those are the people that are going to save us, not ourselves, those people. The ones in the middle, the one, the swing voters go back and forth, you know, and you may, may say they may not have the courage of the convictions, but they also might be pragmatic people that look at the situation like, yeah, that sounds good right now. No, that doesn't sound good. right yep, now. Exactly. And, and so you, you may be an idealist that, that believes in your right to, you know, show a video of, of you snuffing out a coyote in a trap on Instagram, but it's like, man, that it really doesn't do any good. And, and so there's some people that will be listening to this and all they can think of is, well, fuck you, Mike Duplan. You want to take that away from me? You're just a, you know, you, you know, you're just afraid of what these people are doing. No, I'm, a, I'm afraid of losing what I hold dear. Yep. And that's, and that's my desire and ability to go out there and, and hunt. And I'm afraid, you know, my daughter's getting into hunting and I, I want her to be able to do it. I don't have any grandchildren yet, but someday maybe I will. And, and I'd, I'd like to see that passed down through my family. And my daughter's really uh, embracing and enjoying the experience, the field to the table. She yeah. didn't hunt growing up because of my ex-wife. But uh, when she grew up, she's she's uh, come into the hunting world with me and she's killed a few elk and, 
and we really enjoy our time together. I mean, oh, it's nice. super special for, Good for, for me to spend time with my, with my daughter. And so, you know, all this is, it's under threat. I mean, it and it's is. under threat because of, it's under threat because of the perception of people who are ignorant and that are against us. Both. You, I, you know, I couldn't agree it's not more. one or the other. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I love, this is, this is again, I, I, I say this a lot, but man, I just, I love doing this podcast for this very reason. It's so educational yeah. for me and, and to hear somebody's perspective like you, Mike, you just, you've got a really good way of articulating this stuff and, and it, it helps me learn. And, and, uh, I, I just think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this, but I, it's so funny the way you put that too, because I, I've been, I'm, I'm way into taking my girls hunting. Um, they're 12 and 14 right now and it's, uh-huh. it's an absolute ball. I mean, it's, it's an absolute yeah. ball taking them out and, and they're learning they're my, especially my 14 year old, she is absolutely passionate about hunting and she wants to know all about, uh, you know, elk behavior and deer behavior and bear behavior. She wants to learn these animals so that she could become a better hunter. And yeah. it's amazing what I learned from her because of the things that I didn't know she knew she didn't know. And she'll learn it on her own and, and she'll tell me about it, you know? And, and so anyways, the point is, is she was saying, well, you know, I hope uh, we were, we were hunting bears and, and up here we bait because it's, it's real thick and, uh, real brushy and, and really it's either, it's either baiting or hounds. That's, that's how you get it. That's okay. Bear. Bears, bears are hard to kill. Oh, they, they absolutely are. We didn't, we didn't tag out. No, they like coming out at night when oh, you can't yeah, hunt. <laughs> for sure. Especially the big ones, man. Uh, but, yeah. um, Anyways, the point is, is as we we had this one bait site that that produces you know a lot of bears. There's a lot of bears on the camera all the time, and uh, it's it's real fun to go up there. And and she was saying, I I hope this spot is still this good when I have kids, so I can bring them here. Wow! And, and that that, that statement struck me, Mike, because it's like, oh yeah, honey, I I hope it's still as good as well, and and I pray to God that the yeah. opportunity for you to live as a free American and do this is yeah, you'll never there. forget that. I'm sure at the moment it made your heart sore. And you, oh, absolutely. You, I mean, I mean, you think fondly back on that and you love to share mm-hmm. that very quote, that, that moment. And yep. that's, that's super special. I'll never I mean, there's it. people that, yeah, people don't understand that hunting and, and being in the outdoors is far more than just simply pulling the trigger and killing an animal. And then, and, and it's boiled down to that, in a very simplistic form to present to the other side as a form of uh, ammunition in the war against us. And, and so, you know, we have, we have a big fight out there and, and, and what it is is uh, the people in the middle, it's trying to hold on to them and the, the people are tolerant and are willing to be open-minded and listening. And there's only one way, one way to convince them. And that's with, you know, good images and also through their stomachs. Yeah. And I, I am 100% in firm belief that the best way you can be a, a, a good uh, ambassador of hunting is to share meat with non-hunters. And that will convince a lot of people. Yeah, I, right I couldn't there. agree more. And, and, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and you want to talk about all the other stuff and you know coming out against Joe Rogan and Cam Haynes and, and some, whatever we might personally be turned off on you know, that we think is bad for hunting, all that, uh, the best thing we can do is share meat. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, no, it's that's like, a good point. this is why I do this. Here, that's yeah, a, that's a great a, point. Here, 
and it's not Here's some hamburger. Make exactly. tacos for your kids with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's not even about how good the meat is, really. It's it's the overall philosophy that uh, here's here is a part of the bounty that I worked very hard to to get. And I'm going to share it with you. And that just that, that just shines this positive light overall on hunters. Because that one non-hunter yeah. with that positive experience is going to remember that the next time they see some shitty video of somebody mistreating a wounded deer, that like yeah. that one that came out a few years back, um, that, that, that positive experience that they had with you sharing the meat is going to override that negative image that they had from some douche canoe that that knew better than to post that but did anyway you know what i mean and and, right. and so i i think that's a great point mike what you, you I got, this, go ahead i saw this happen firsthand with myself at the fire department i would you know i i would consider myself probably the, the most uh, uh driven and maybe uh i don't know but i don't want to brag about this but there there weren't anybody else on my fire department of 350 guys that that did the kind of hunting I've done or put the amount of time and effort into it. There's guys that hunted, but, but you know, that not on my level. And when I went to British Columbia and got my stone sheep, I didn't get it till my third trip, I had 33 days of hunting over three trips. Long story short, I drove up there every time. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I drove is because I wanted to bring all the meat home myself. And, you know, that's a long damn ways to northern British Columbia from Colorado. Heck, yeah, it is. When I brought the meat back, I took a a back strap, which is, you know, obviously a very highly regarded piece of uh, meat, and I took it to the firehouse, and I shared it with my crew. And wild sheep back strap, that's that's pretty high-end stuff, man. You, You put that on the grill and cook it medium rare, and it's just like people are just like, stunned wow Wow. that is like i can't cannot believe how good they've been and so right there you know i had that you know my crew of six five five other guys that i don't believe any of them were hunters and all of them were just completely uh impressed with the idea of like the meat and and eating it and you know it's like you can't you can't even put a number on stone sheep meat per pound but you know there's there's that idea that you know people brought that up and that kind of thing but um you know I, there was a lot of people that i convinced simply by doing that stuff but i'd i'd make a smoked meatloaf uh, with wild game at home and bring it in and and share it and uh, you know just i was pretty uh, cognizant of doing that on a regular basis and i'd I'd try to do it when I'd get rove to other stations and do it with other crews too. So, um, yeah, it's I, I, you know, yeah, it's something that I really feel with, and it's don't do it just out of, uh, you know, it's something people need to seek out is, is like, Hey man, I here's make a list of, of people you think would, uh, enjoy and appreciate it and bring them some meat. Even if it's just a, a pound of deer burger, elk burger, or whatever it is, just, you know, bring them something. And, and that is a, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people are like, man, I, I eat everything I kill. Well, that's great. But, you know, sharing some of that, it will go a long ways. And I think uh, um, it's something all, we could all do in the future and, and to help ourselves. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I espouse the virtue of sharing. I think I think that's going to be a key takeaway out of this episode is is you know make it a point this guy I I think that's a that's a good message to send out like maybe folks listening to this we should all set a goal and make it a point to share some wild game meat this fall 
with somebody that you know that is a non-hunter. And, yeah. you know, just, just, I mean, just a pound of ground. Uh, it would yeah, do the trick. Still, somebody, somebody will say, well, Mike didn't like Randy Newberg's master class idea. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that will be their takeaway. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, okay, oh, Mike. it totally will, man. It, it doesn't matter. I, I said this on the last episode. It doesn't matter uh, what you say. Somebody's going to be pissed when you come on this show no, or I, any, I, any podcast. I, I really like Randy. He, he and I know each other. Uh, and, uh, I, I think he does a, a great job of uh, putting the, the right message out there for people. Yeah. And uh, say what you want about most people in the, in the hunting world. Most of them are pretty damn good people, and they're trying to do a good job. I guess, you know, some people are trying to make a living doing that, and that, that does have a clouding effect on some things because, you know, it becomes your mm-hmm. job. So, but, you know, it's like... I, I don't worry about some of that stuff as much as I used to. I, you know, I used to get into you know, just battles with people on, you know, message boards like uh, Monster Muleys back in the day and shit like that. Yeah, me too. It's, me. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my buddy John Legnard called me the thread killer because he's like, man, you know, people get back and forth and you jump in and just smoke everybody, and, <laughs> and, and that would be it. <laughs> the thread killer. I like that one. That should be your yeah. Instagram handle, Mike. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's going by. I got. I, I know we're I, we're getting close here, but I, I I have I thought of this question after we because we talked on the phone yesterday, and it sounds oh, wow. like it sounds like a cheesy question, but I I like the question for somebody like you that doesn't have you know just a couple of years of experience. You you have you have a few decades of experience. And, and so I, I think it's a, it's, I don't know, it's a deeper question than it might sound. But the question is, is what is your favorite, what is your favorite thing about hunting? What, what makes hunting so important to you? Um, I think, uh, well, you know, you can't just put one, one thing. There's many, many things that I love. I absolutely love being in the outdoors. I, I live, uh, down near Ridgeway, Colorado. And I, I live here for a reason because I want to be up in the mountains. I go hiking almost every day. I'm out looking at wildlife just for, just to look at wildlife. I do a lot of wildlife photography. We eat wild game probably 80% of the time. And uh, I, I love looking at the horns and antlers of the animals that I, I've taken. And and I love shed antlers. I, I You know, I don't know if there's one thing. I, I really couldn't put put my finger on one thing, but I just, I'm, I'm so deeply immersed in the whole experience process, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, that it's just, I don't know any other way. It, it is, this is me. I am an outdoorsman, a hunter. I fish, I, I hike. I, I just love it all. I, we bought a house specifically so I could look out the window at the mountains while I'm drinking my morning coffee. That's, that was my, <laughs> my, kind my of people, brother. Yeah. And that, I mean, I have an epic view out my window and I, I worked my ass off my whole life. I built extra houses uh, beyond what I live in uh, on the side gig from my job. And, you know, that, that was my way of getting ahead. Well, so, you know, and it's, and it's to enjoy the, the fruits of working. And, you know, I've got an epic view out my window at Mount Sneffels. It's 14,000 and so feet tall. And, you know, it's like, there's there's nothing that I could say is is my favorite thing, but I probably my favorite hunting to do would 
would be sheep hunting at this point because I just absolutely love the mountains and the alpine and uh there's something super magical about an old ram up stuff so oh man for sure i i agree with that it's a country they're in that just does something something about sheep hunting with that but let me ask you this did did i preemptively set you up with that question did you know that i was going to ask you that question at all no because when we talked earlier well i you know i think you're asking me a rhetorical question for the benefit of the audience but uh when we talked earlier yeah we uh we basically agreed that we don't want to use up all our bullets right now just when we're getting acquainted on the phone so you know i I, I wanted to touch base with you before we talked because i always feel like that's a good way to establish a little rapport before a podcast yeah i think that's a good idea no i have no idea you're gonna ask me that so okay so i and and the reason i i bring that up is you know for for everybody listening and and any of the anti-hunters out there that are listening Right now, I've got somebody who I, I would put, you know, I, I, I have a tendency to kind of categorize things in my life, and, and, and I don't care if it's a work-related thing for my day job. I don't care if it's podcasting or hunters or whatever. I kind of categorize things, and I, I would kind of, I, I think I, I would categorize you, Mike, as, as an expert-level, legendary-level kind of hunter. Uh, you've been doing it a long time. You've knocked down some fantastic animals. Uh, I can tell just between talking to you and, and following you on Instagram and, and everything else that, uh, you know, I, I get to know about you, you're absorbed in this lifestyle. So when I asked you, there was a purpose to it about what your favorite thing about hunting is. Um, not at, at any point did you say that it was shooting or killing an animal. It's, it's the lifestyle. It's everything that is involved in the lifestyle. And and the the overall experience that nobody understands that don't hunt that when they people that don't hunt and and people that have a negative connotation or a negative impression of what hunting is all they think about is that that moment of impact when that arrow hits the animal or the bullet hits the animal or whatever they don't think about the morning coffee sitting on high you know ten thousand feet on a mountain they don't think about the the game meat that sits in your freezer for months after the hunt. They don't think about the back pain of, of a hauling and an elk off the mountain. You know, all these things that we talk about all the time. And and it's just it just goes to show you're you're somebody who's uh, been doing this a long time. You've been in the, you know, riding for the hunting industry and, and uh, hunting all over the place. And, and I just, you know, I, I thought I'd I, – I, that's the answer I thought I would get. Does that make sense? Oh. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say those things. Um, I, I think uh, – you know, you're doing a fantastic job with your podcast. I, I guess me a little to talk about myself, but, um, you know, I had to listen to yours before I, I got on, man. What I found right away is uh, you're doing a good job, and, and I like the kind of guests you're having on and the conversations you have. You're, you know, you, you didn't once ask me to go through, how, how do you kill all these big bucks? It's like, dude, <laughs> it's, there's so much more to it than just uh, um, it's not a cookbook. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah, it's definitely so. not a coachwork. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, you, I, in full disclosure, you cut out there for a minute. I, I thought I'd lost yeah, you, what, but uh, no, my wife, my wife pulled up. Uh, she just got home, and the phone Bluetooth to the car. So oh, is that what happened? What happened? Okay, okay, <laughs> so. That way, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, that way, of course, right when you were paying me a compliment, 
you cut it. I don't okay. get a lot of compliments, Mike. So, well, you're doing a damn good job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, your wife got home, and uh, we've been going here for for over an hour. That this was a great conversation. I I really enjoyed having you on, Mike. Um, it's it's like my pleasure to meet you, and I'm glad we we like are at least acquainted now. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's been it's been a good discussion. Um, yeah, well. We've had no trouble uh, covering almost an hour and a half, so yeah. give it a give it a few months and give it another go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's after uh, hunting season. Let's touch touch base in the winter. I'd love to do like a hunting recap uh, of your of this coming yeah. season for you. So I'm excited. Uh, those of you yeah. listening, Mike Duplan or uh, Duplan is on Instagram at at Mike Duplan, which is, uh, if you guys want to spell his last name, D-U-P-L-A-N, but it'll be in the show notes to make it easy. You can just click right there. Any closing thoughts, brother? No, I just uh, I want to say that even though uh, this might sound hypocritical, I do have a book that I co-authored with David Long. It's called The Edge, The Guide to Hunting Mountain Mule Deer. And uh, we still have a few copies left. And um, if you're interested... Go to uh, Western Hunter uh, Magazine's website, and they're being sold there. So sweet, yeah. I forgot about that. I meant mm-hmm. to. I, I meant to no, ask you about okay. the book. Yeah, and that's not why I came on to plug it. But I no, I know. It just uh, it's been out people, a long there's time. People, it? There's been yeah, 2018. So oh, four yeah. or five years. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, it's an insight. David and I have both been pretty successful hunting big meal deer and there's a lot of uh information and 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 there's a lot of uh lessons to be learned by uh you know just tales some of the hunts that we've gone on what what we've done and and things like that so i'm not saying it'll be the magic uh, recipe for you but it's definitely uh, you're going to get information from two guys that have actually seen it and done it and and uh so it's uh i'm sold pretty pretty cheap investment relatively speaking 29 bucks i think it's yeah Heck yeah, man! I'll, I, I'm yeah. gonna pick that book up. I I uh, I meant to order that actually last night, and I totally forgot. Um, so I'll grab one of those guys. It, jump on. Uh, where, what website did you say it was? It's Western Hunter Magazine's website, and I'm I'm thinking it's WesternHunter.org, but I'm I'm brain farting it, and so I might be mistaken. But if you just look for Western Hunter Magazine and um, their website, it, it's not too hard to find with anybody. Uh, a little common sense and Google ability. Yeah, westernhunter.net. .net, uh, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that's what it yep. is. And yep. books and journals. You know what? I'll put that yep. in the show notes, too. I'll just, let me pull it up oh. here. That way it's Very cool. easy. So um, I'll track it down. Mike, I appreciate it. Uh, that was, uh, seriously, that was a fun conversation. Uh, so let's let's plan to do it again. And if I don't talk to you in the meantime, have a hell of a have a hell of a hunting season this year here it is i found the book the edge i'm gonna put that in the show notes so good deal thanks jim i appreciate it It it's great talking to you yeah you as well man thanks a bunch and we'll talk soon okay take care you made it that's the end of the episode thank you so much for tuning in please make sure you're following us on instagram at the western huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.